Hey everybody, welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover and I'm fiercely passionate about living a disciplined life so I can avoid living with the pain of regret. When people find out that I spent 16 years in the commercial health and fitness industry, they're interested in that, specifically around nutrition and fitness. In fact, it's the one topic I get asked about more than any other, nutrition being 1A, fitness being 1B. And at the time of this recording, I'm 48 years old. I'm in the best shape of my life, hovering right around 9% body fat or so. I exercise four to five hours a week, and people are curious about how I do it, especially considering that I work full-time at a major university. I pretty much work full-time on my business consultancy startup. I have family activities, including serving as a taxi driver for my kids' athletic events. And so they are interested in how do you find that balance uh, between life and particular aesthetic goals or fitness goals. So knowing this, I'm going to discuss various diets. So I'm going to focus on the nutrition side of it today rather than the fitness or activity side of it today to try to help demystify the topic so you can make better, more informed decisions should you find yourself considering starting a diet. For starters, a quote diet is considered a temporary restrictive eating pattern that may assist someone in meeting a short-term goal, such as losing five to 10 pounds for a social event or vacation. Such diets are also known as fad diets, tend to be less focused on building sustainable, healthy eating patterns since they're calorically restrictive. And while that's not ideal, they do work. And they work because they're all low calorie. And most of what you see on the bookshelves are low calorie diets disguised by some marketing gimmick because discipline and consistency isn't sexy and that's, that doesn't sell. So for example, the Adkins diet. So this is a low carbohydrate, higher protein diet. This was first popularized back in the 1960s. It resurfaced again in the mid to late 90s. And basically, the, the assertion is that carbohydrates make you gain weight. Well, carbohydrates actually increase cell volume. And when you restrict car- dietary carbohydrate, you actually reduce cell volume. And that leads to the immediate weight loss. This is why people like it, because they get the instant gratification of the weight on the scale decreasing. Unfortunately, whenever you consume carbohydrate, say a banana, that cell volume increases again and you step back on the scale and you're heavier. So it it reinforces this idea that carbohydrates make you gain weight. But nowhere in that particular book does it state that carbohydrates make you fat. And that's that's a distinction that ultimately needs to be made. So when people say they want to lose weight, ultimately what they're saying is they want to lose body fat. And we know though that making livable behavioral lifestyle changes should be the goal, but people defer to fad diets because they generally are unwilling uh, or don't have time or don't feel like they can make long-term sustainable changes. So this is why people turn to any one of the 30,000 fad diets that are listed with the Food and Drug Administration. So for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to focus on six, six diets that are popular today. And if there's one that stands out more than any other right now, it's the keto diet. Keto stands for ketogenic. And this particular diet wasn't originally created for weight loss, but rather it was developed by doctors back in the 1920s to treat epilepsy. And even to this day, physicians aren't entirely sure exactly how this helps prevent seizures in epileptics. 
But since then, it's been used in a variety of medical treatments such as diabetes. It's been popularized back in the 1950s up to today in the bodybuilding community as a way of getting extra lean in preparation for stage competitions. So here are some facts related to the keto diet that you should be aware of prior to starting it. In terms of macronutrient breakdown, 70 to 80% of your dietary calories need to come from fat. Generally, nuts, seeds, uh, avocados, uh, olive oils, things like that, healthier, healthier types of fats. Although it doesn't, this diet doesn't discriminate if you want to uh, have a diet high in saturated fat. Uh, five to ten percent of your your calories are going to come from carbohydrate. You actually need to restrict carbohydrate to fifty grams of carbohydrate or less per day in order to hit that number for most people. With ten to twenty percent of your dietary calories coming from protein in the form of meat and dairy products. Um, in terms of fruits, most of them you would want to avoid. I mean, berries are good, but most uh, other fruits will kick you out of what's called ketosis, and ketosis is a byproduct of inefficient fat metabolism. It's interesting because fat burns in a carbohydrate flame within what's called the Krebs cycle. Now, I'm not gonna go in depth into that, but ketosis is ultimately inefficient uh, fat burning, and it creates these things called ketones. And the, the brain and central nervous system can use ketones as an energy source in the absence of dietary carbohydrate. Dietary carbohydrate is our body's preferred energy source, but we're built with all sorts of redundancies, and being able to use ketones for fuel is actually a really, really good thing. I mean, think Eskimos. They, they have diets that are very, very low in carbohydrate, if any at all, and yet they're able to sustain life because of this process called ketosis. So in a calorie-restricted restrict, state, you can lose body fat on this diet. It will ultimately uh, you'll change your metabolism in, in, for some people in really, really good ways. It helps regulate blood sugar. The one thing to make note of is the initial week or so on a keto diet. People often uh, claim they feel like they have the flu. It's quite literally called the keto flu. And that's something that you want to consider prior to starting this, to, just to know that your body's going to be going through a transition period in that first week to 10 days as you modify your macronutrients and shifting towards dietary fat. So that's the first one, the keto diet. The next one is inter intermittent fasting. This is, the, this is the protocol that I use. And for the last 18 months or so, I've gotten really good results off of this, especially when I've incorporated high-intensity interval training. Be sure to check out episode 9 of season 1 of the Quest for Life podcast to learn more on that. Intermittent fasting, also known as time-restricted eating, is a protocol that allows you to alternate periods of eating and fasting on a regular schedule, such as restricting... Uh, your eating pattern to an eight-hour window and thereby having a 16-hour fast. Beyond the weight loss benefit, which of course assumes a person is in a calorie deficit on average given a period of time, intermittent fasting can improve thinking and memory. It can improve your heart health, physical performance, can lower incidence of diabetes and obesity, and can contribute to anti-aging with this phenomenon known as autophagy. 
So auto means self, phagy means consume. So it's really we're consuming ourselves, which seems somewhat gross to, to think about. But at a cellular level, what the body does in the absence of food during the fast, and now what we're talking about is during the extended part of the fast, hours 12, 13, 14, etc., is the body goes and basically cleans itself up and recycles damaged cells and recirculates them and quite literally consumes them. And so you have the anti-aging properties in the form of reduced inflammation. You have the anti-aging properties in uh, because of fewer uh, free radicals and the damage that free radicals uh, can cause. So in many ways, autophagy serves as an antioxidant. Uh, it also improves fat burning. You optimize hormone levels. I mean, your human growth hormone just goes through the roof because your pituitary in, is, or your, excuse me, your brain is really trying to figure out, okay, where's my next food source going to come from? And this is especially true when you get into the extended hours of the fast. And then the pituitary releases growth hormone really ready to strike on the next uh, food item that comes across your path. Uh, it also helps with blood sugar levels. It reduces cancers, all types of cancers. So this is a really interesting uh, nutritional protocol. And while the most popular is what's called 16-8, so a 16-hour fast with an 8-hour uh, eating window, there are other options such as 24, where the fast is 20 hours and the eating is 4 hours, or the 5-2 protocol, which is 5 days of normal eating and then two days during the week, generally not uh, in succession, two days during a week where you're eating 500 uh, calories or less each of those days. So intermittent fasting and keto diet. The third is the macro diet. And this protocol involves counting macros instead of calories, which is a bit of a head fake. So let me explain this. Macros refer to macronutrients, which are proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. And each gram of each macronutrient has a caloric value. Carbohydrate is 4 calories per gram. Protein is 4 calories per gram. Fat, 9 calories per gram. Alcohol represents 7 calories per gram. I'm going to touch on that uh, here in a little bit. The first thing you need to determine is what your caloric needs are before starting this particular diet, the macro diet. And another way of assessing this, and really, a really easy way to assess it is ask yourself in the last 90 days, have I gained weight, lost weight, or stayed the same? And what you're ultimately trying to determine is what your caloric maintenance is. And you can jump out onto the Google, Google and uh, look up different calculators to get you, you know, relatively close on what your maintenance needs are. From there, you determine your macro ratios. And the guidelines for, uh, or sorry, the dietary guidelines for Americans, the DGA, recommends 10 to 35% of your total calories coming from protein, 20 to 35 percent of your total calories come from dietary fat and then 45 to 65 of your total calories coming from carbohydrate. So based on the percentage uh, alone you can see how the fad diet you see how fad diets vary wildly especially when you compare the macro diet and the keto diet. In any event what you will ultimately want to do on this is if you want to lose weight is you need to be in a calorie restricted state also known as a calorie deficit 
and then you for the macro diet you want to calculate what your macros are and uh, the math is is relatively simple because what you're doing is you need you want to ultimately get it down to how many grams of each macronutrient you need to consume per day so for example let's say you your dietary needs are 2000 calories a day you want to derive 50% of your calories from carbohydrate you take that number and then divide that by four, which is four calories per gram. That leads to 250 grams of carbohydrate per day. Once, and then once you have that established, it's pretty easy to maintain. And the benefits are, number one, it's pretty balanced. Uh, two, weight loss, muscle gain, improved athletic performance, better blood sugar, you know, things like that. But at the end of the day, the, this protocol ultimately is about counting calories, even though we'll frame it up that way. The fourth is called the DASH diet. And this DASH stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. This diet emphasizes the consumption of low sodium foods that are also high in potassium, such as fruits and vegetables, beans and lentils, uh, low fat dairy products, fish, poultry, and un unsalted nuts. The typical macro break, macronutrient breakdown uh, for the DASH diet is 18% of your calories coming from protein, 27% coming from dietary fat, and 55% of your total calories coming from carbohydrate. The DASH diet also emphasizes getting 30 or more grams of dietary fiber per day from fruits and vegetables and recommends little consumption of red meats and other salty foods. Studies show that this approach lowers a person's uh, blood pressure over time and can contribute to weight loss, assuming, of course, the person is in a calorie deficit on average for a period of time. And no food is completely off limits, which makes this less restricted, restrictive, you know, beyond the reduced calorie intake, it's much less restrictive than something like the keto diet. Uh, and it really makes it adaptable to any culture or lifestyle. Number five. Before the DASH diet started gaining popularity, the Mediterranean diet caught on. Both protocols are similar in that they emphasize the consumption of fruits and vegetables, beans, nuts, and seeds, and lean proteins while de-emphasizing sweets, red meats, and dairy products. The typical macronutrient breakdown for the Mediterranean diet is 15% of total calories coming from protein, 35% coming from dietary fat, and the remaining 50% of total calories coming from carbohydrate. The recommended protein sources include poultry and fish, fats such as olive oils or the fats you can get from nuts and seeds or avocados are ideal, and the carbohydrate sources are from vegetables and grains. And as with each of the previous mentioned diets, all sorts of health benefits can be realized, including weight loss, provided, of course, you're in a calorie deficit over a period of time, cue the broken record, in addition to heart health, uh, reduced incidence of diabetes, overweight, and obesity. The final popular diet that I'm going to talk about is the plant-based diet. And this name really serves as a catch-all for all plant-based diets, including vegetarian diets and vegan diets. And the fundamental difference between a vegan diet and a vegetarian diet is that vegan diets eliminate all animal-derived products, uh, including animal proteins, honey, eggs, and dairy products. There are some vegetarian diets, such as lacto-ovo vegetarian or pescatarian, that allow 
for dairy and egg consumption in the former and the consumption of fish in the latter. The macronutrient breakdown for plant-based diets are 20 to 30% of total calories coming from protein, 25 to 35% coming from dietary fat, and the remaining 45 to 65 of total calories coming from carbohydrate. The benefits include reduction of heart disease, incidence of diabetes, lowered inflammation, which is a major contributor to chronic disease and illness in addition to obesity. It should be noted though that people on plant-based diets may experience low levels of iron and B12 since there's little to no consumption of animal-based protein. Such deficiencies have been linked to increased risk of stroke and depression, so nutritional supplementation is likely um, required. That said, more and more evidence is appearing to link better health by increasing plant consumption while decreasing animal protein consumption. Let me say that again. More and more evidence is, is drawing that connection between the increased consumption of plant-based products and the decreased consumption of animal-based products and, um, and how that contributes to overall health and well-being. It seems to be better in plant-based diets versus uh, diets that involve animal-derived uh, products. Plus, you get the weight loss benefit provided that you are in a well, you know the drill by now. Let me talk about alcohol really quickly. So we know that one gram of carbohydrate equals four calories, one gram of protein is four calories, one gram of fat is nine calories, and alcohol represents uh, seven calories per gram. And I said it that way on purpose because the body doesn't store alcohol. It doesn't get converted to carbohydrate. It doesn't get converted to fat. It doesn't get converted to protein. The body doesn't store alcohol. And if you think about how the body is think always trying to figure out energy first, everything else second. That's why we're really good at adaptation. Um, we're really good at energy conservation because our body thinks energy first, everything else second. Dietarily, when we consume a balanced meal, the the body prefers, particularly the central nervous system, prefers to use carbohydrate as an energy source followed by fat, followed by protein. Well, once you insert alcohol into the mix, all of those get ratcheted down because alcohol becomes the primary fuel simply because the, the body views it as a toxin. Now, the body can metabolize roughly about a half an ounce of alcohol per hour. So depending on how much you drink, this can have major implications for uh, health, not only health and well-being, but for, uh, for weight loss, particularly if you drink too much because there's a disinhibiting effect that the alcohol has on the brain. And I'm not talking about jumping up on tables and dancing. When I say disin uh, disinhibition in this context, it stimulates appetite. And whenever you drink too much, the only thing you feel like in the moment is to eat something that's quote, soaks it up. So you go get a massive breakfast burrito, or you eat a whole pizza, or you get burgers and fries. And depending on what you've had uh, calorically throughout that day, all of a sudden you've blown your calorie allotment for that day by the consumption of these really uh, high calorie foods such as pizza and burritos and other things. And you also have to know that, that while you might be making yourself feel better in the moment in the consumption of those things, your body is still preferentially dealing with the alcohol. 
And so it doesn't efficiently deal with the carbohydrate, protein, and fat that you're consuming um, while, you're, while you're trying to sober up. So that gives you sort of a framework for alcohol. And the question is, well, can I have alcohol and still reach my fitness goal? And the answer is yes, you just have to account for it. Now, alcohol is not going to appear in any of these fad diets. Like, for example, with the macro diet, you're not going to count the seven calories per gram that alcohol represents as one of your macros. You're just not. It doesn't mean that you can't integrate it, uh, but you should probably consider counting it towards your total caloric intake if you have a particular uh, fat loss goal because we need to be in a sustained calorie deficit over a defined period of time in order to lose body fat. As we wrap up another edition of the Quest for Life podcast, please know the content shared is, is just a small survey of the voluminous diet protocols available. It should also be noted that you should consult your physician prior to starting uh, any one of these protocols to ensure you minimize any risk associated with making change changes to your nutrition. With that disclaimer out of the way, I encourage you to find the diet that works best for you and your lifestyle. I mentioned earlier that for the last 18 months, I am using the intermittent fasting protocol. It works really well for me. Uh, I never tried it before. I didn't know how it would go. There was an adjustment period, but it's worked really, really well, not only in terms of fitting into my daily schedule, but also my, my fitness goals. So that's really the goal for all of us is to, is to figure out how can, we, how can we find some long-term sustainable solution to our nutrition and fitness, and we'll talk about fitness in a later podcast, but how can we you know, move beyond short-term fixes and find sustainable solutions? And while there is certainly a place for short-term fixes, building something that you can sustain throughout your life that minimizes restriction and maximizes health and well-being is a goal that, if achieved, will likely bring about a more fulfilling life. As always, it's food for thought, fellow questers. Please contact the show at thequestforlife.com, thequestnumber4life.com. Consider leaving a five-star rating, maybe even writing a review. Certainly appreciate it. And as always, thank you for joining the conversation.